Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Straight out of Austin, Texas, it's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, statesman sports columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first, on Second Thought. Carr looking for some space into the paint. Allen, free throw line. Got it! Well, on both ends. And that'll do it. Texas, what a win. Chris Beard and the Longhorns win it 79-76. On Second Thought, episode 249, brought to you by Hook'em.com, our good friends at Bud Lights. Cedric Golden here with the duck, Kirk Bowles, and yes, that was that was the sound of ESPN's John Shiambi uh, giving us an audio viewpoint of the Texas Longhorns. Big win, 79-76 over the Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, duck, UT basketball is back, baby. What do you have to say about that one? Uh, I don't know if I'd say back. You know, oh, come on, Doug. Don't be, don't be that guy. Come on. Well, you act like it's been a powerhouse like Kansas or Duke, and it ain't. But it's, it is back to playing good basketball. I'll say that. And, That's what uh, I meant. That's what I meant. Yeah, they are that. And, uh, boy, it was, it was a signature win, in my opinion, because uh, Chris Beard has been looking for a big win of this magnitude uh, since he got here, 21 games into the season. Yeah, he, he's been looking for that win. And um, it, it, it was a – Club Irwin Duck was a madhouse. And it, it was a great – it was a great atmosphere. You, myself, uh, Brian Davis were in the building. It was a just a wonderful uh, basketball atmosphere, very similar to the Texas Tech game where the fans were were totally engaged. And we wondered about that uh, at the beginning because they felt a little muted. But once the game got going and it became very clear that the Texas Longhorns were in it to win it, uh, the, the, the intensity level definitely ramped up. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, it's not a uh, naturally loud environment, organically loud. I mean, you, they got to do a lot of marketing, and the students had so much to do with that. Uh, you and I talked about it. Like, we hate having them behind the basket. You'd much rather have them behind the visiting bench uh, to really maximize their, their impact on the game. But there's no question that they did have a role in that game. I think they uh, uh, the team fed off of that. <clears throat> and, you know, and just when it seemed the most dire, down by four with like 55 seconds left, you know, Texas came back from the dead and got it done. You know, and uh, you mentioned a signature win. Uh, we both agree that that was a signature win. But Chris Beard had other ideas. Uh, listen to this exchange you had with Brother Beard after the game. 
just a signature win and what you're hoping to build here? I mean, please show the whole thing. Don't clip this, but I, I don't think so. I, I think, uh, look, nobody respects Kansas more than I do. Norm and Coach Self have been friends of mine for a long time, but we play. We came to Texas to compete and play with teams like Kansas. So um, obviously why it's such a big game is really what everything they've done in college basketball, right? So um, we've got to hold our own to the, to the deal around here. So um, and tonight was a good step in the right direction, but – um, I know you guys get tired of the steadiness, but it's, it's the next game on the schedule. Uh, protected our home court against a team that's a Final Four contender. Um, but you guys understand, I, I believe we're a Final Four contender. Uh, I, I haven't wavered while some outside of our circle have. So, Doug, he just he, – he, he believes what he says. When he says, I think we're a Final Four contender. I, okay. Okay, Chris, you're a Final Four contender. Uh, no, not yet, not yet. That's what you're supposed to say, but you got, yeah. you, but you, but and you and you want a big game, and and you've won, I think, five out of six. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not ready to send you to New Orleans just yet. That was a hard fought game. Uh, they're going to have to prove, Duck, that they can get it done on the road away from Club Irwin. Uh, they put the clamps. Uh, you got to give Courtney Ramey credit for putting the clamps on on uh, Oshai Abaje, and uh, you know Timmy Allen came of age with those twenty four points. He was freaking amazing. But they're going to have to get that on a more consistent basis. Yeah, you play like that every night, and you are a Final Four contender because they played with uh, energy, enthusiasm. Trey Mitchell, maybe his best game of the Longhorn. Christian Bishop. 10 rebounds, was everywhere, you know, playing with physicality against David McCormick, the best big man in the league. Uh, Courtney Ramey, you know, locked down defense on the best player in the league. And then, uh, as you noted to Chris afterward, and contributing offensively to that second half. They hit a little lull. Yeah, they hit a little lull, and Courtney Ramey came to life with eight points. I, I just thought it was a, I just thought it was a comprehensive performance. But it's oh. hard to put those kind of games, uh, string together those kind of games back to back to back. Only the great teams do that. And I don't think this is a great team. Well, they were, I think, what, what are they, like three and three, their last six conference games, something like that. But you're right, because they don't always have that environment and they don't always have that quality opponent that's going to jack them up and have an intensity for the whole 40 minutes. And uh, that's what you try to replicate. And that's what Kansas, that's the atmosphere that Kansas faces every Tuesday and Monday and Saturday or enjoys when they're at Allen Fieldhouse. So, and even uh, Beard was savvy enough to know, hey, everybody's calling it a signature win, and we all know why. It's because of the quality of the opponent. You know, it's the 19 uh, Big 12 championships, uh, 14 straight at one point ending in 2018 that Kansas has enjoyed. They, they are the powerhouse. They are the conference when it comes to basketball. Now, can they play that way in Waco at Baylor? I know you and Brian will be there, and that's going to be a riveting game. They haven't played Baylor yet. They got them twice in their, in this last uh, home stretch of games here. So uh, Baylor's had its own problems, but that's the consistency that Chris Beard is looking for game in, game out, without question. And, and I, I really enjoy uh, 
I, I enjoy watching good basketball. And the Big 12, Duck, that's a great basketball conference. There are not very many bad games in this league. And, and they just seem to get – they go down to the wire. I've seen like five or six games in the last month that have all gone down to the wire. This one was no different. Uh, Texas made just – they just made timely plays. Marcus Carr made his free throws, and Kansas blinked. Bill Self, who, who, who's always the, the most classy, the most classy uh, loser. When he loses, he always very effusive in his praise. He goes, Chris Beard's going to get a lot of these signature wins. So this was just one. But like you told me after the game, Doug, you're not going to get a lot of signature wins before you get that first one. So you had to get that one and put that under your belt. Yeah, you got to get the team believing they can do it. And, you know, every team said, well, we believe in ourselves. We have faith in uh, our teammates and everything. But until you do it, you know, it, it kind of rings hollow. And, uh, you know, this isn't a great team. And, and that's the thing. To me, it's very similar to the uh, the Baylor women with Melissa Smith, Kansas with Ochai Abaji. If you have that one guy that can take over a game, not every game, but take over stretches of a game, when you got to get a bucket, players like Nalissa Smith for Baylor, uh, Ochai Agbaji with Kansas, you got to get a bucket, you know, night in, night out. Those teams can count on that. Texas doesn't have that. And, you know, and that's why Texas won because Ramey took that away. He had, I held Agbaji to 11 points, like 10 points under his average. Uh, he was just shadowing him all over the court. He was he went like 18 minutes, or about 17 minutes plus, uh, without a point, and like eight eight plus, and in the end of the first half, and eight plus the start of the second half, and that was just instrumental because Kansas could never get ultimate momentum and some separation from Texas. You know what, and and, and you got to give Courtney Ramey all the credit. He was the MVP of that game. There are there were yeah. so many contributors, but uh, without him putting the clamps on Obaji, they don't win that game. I watched, I've watched Obaji torch some of the best defenders in the country. Oh, that, that that guy is a lottery pick, and I I, I uh, Courtney Ramey giving up three inches of height. Just he, guys much bigger than Courtney, and he. He, did, he didn't waver, and so it's that single-mindedness and that toughness that's going to determine whether or not the Longhorns uh, actually make a real postseason run. What kind of seed did you forecast for the Longhorns? Uh, I see them as a three or a four. I think I think they're going to. I think they can get to a four. Oh, I don't. I don't think they can. You get think they'll be a six or a seven? Well, I think uh, as I wrote after the Kansas game, I think they could elevate a jump. Uh, a seed line uh, after that win because they were, I think there were three and four against top 25 teams, but nine of their wins uh, for Texas have come against quad four, you know, and you almost dismiss those. Oh yeah. And, uh, and so I see him as, I saw him as probably a six or seven seed going in. And I think they played jumped and now they might be a five or six seed. And, and now the question is, can they sustain it? You're, we were talking about, you know, you going to uh, Waco on Saturday. I mean, their next three, you know, they go to Baylor, then they go to Oklahoma, and then they host Texas Tech. Three tough games. And if you really want to be a, a three seed, 
or four seed. You better win two out of those three because if you go one and two in those two, you fall right back into your not mediocrity, but just kind of a good team, not a great team. Let you me know, ask you this. Next stretch, Let me ask huge. you that. Let me ask yeah. you this. Yeah. Go they, go, they go 10 and 8 in the Big 12. That's not a four or five seed, given how good the Big 12 is. I don't know where they what are they now? Six and three in the league. So if they yeah. go if they go 10 and six, that's what four and what is that? Yeah, but they got they're playing, they got to play 18, though. They play 18. So it's oh, I know, but if they're six and three and they only you know, go uh, 10 and eight, you know, that doesn't mean their finishing is strong. Yeah. So, they, so you're saying they got to go 11 and seven, 12. And yeah. Six. I think to get a three seed or four seed, I just don't think they're in the, in the talk. I see them at a five. I could, I could see a five or a six. I, oh yeah. I, could I see But I said outside shot at a, at a four. So I yeah, see I'll a be five surprised if they get that high, but boy, these games are important and it's going to help their RPI and their net ranking, you know, uh, no question about it they got it in their hands and it's great that they're playing quality opponents you know on a nightly basis because and then you have the big 12 tournament so they got a lot of chances to prove themselves and hopefully this gives them a jolt of confidence that they ride that momentum and you know Baylor's kind of scuffling a little bit uh they are health problems Meyer in playing he's not Meyer he's not Meyer he's not he's not and uh Kenjo has been up and down so it's Hasn't been as consistently uh, as good as they were last year, obviously, when they won the national championship. So, well, if they could go to Waco on Saturday and take care of business, and you know, then you got Oklahoma, and then you got a back home game against Texas Tech. You know, you got something. You're building something, and uh, this is the time when you want to be playing your best basketball. And you know what? They they've got a signature win. Now they need a signature road win. They need a- <laughs> That's how you that's how you chop wood, Doug. That's how you chop wood in the Big 12. If you want to be a Final Four contender, you're absolutely right. You gotta do that away from home. On second thought. Doug switching gears to the NFL. We are joined by a friend of the podcast, Texas Sports Hall of Famer, and the most important voice of professional football in Houston, Texas. John McClain of the Houston Chronicle joins us. Big John, what's up, man? All kinds of things are up in Houston. They just had a long, winding, convoluted road to get to the fifth head coach in franchise history, Lovey Smith. But now that it's over, I'm relieved to get it over. So he's the 13th head coach I've covered here. And I've known Lovey for 30 years. I'm happy for him. First African-American to get three NFL head coaching jobs. Wow. Said he never gave up. And to be able to do it in his home state, he said a lot of people wonder when they get to the fourth quarter of their career where it's going. He said you couldn't write a better script for the Smith family. Well, that's awesome. Uh, that would That's great on the surface, but uh, Lovey's the, uh, the true fallback candidate, was he not, even though uh, he does deserve it? Would you agree? Absolutely. They were ready to hire. Start, I'm sorry, Kirk. They were ready to hire Josh McCann. Now, they won't admit any of this, right? but it's true. They were ready to hire him. It met with a lot of controversy here. Fans didn't want him. Media didn't want him. I thought it was going to be intriguing to watch a guy who's never coached above the high school level but played 17 years, six in the NFL, 18 years overall. 
12 different organizations. Played for Lovey Smith in Chicago and Tampa. Played with Pep Hamilton in Cleveland. And everybody swears by Josh McCown as a person and as a tremendous coaching prospect who needs to start at a lower level. But Jack Easterby, the most vilified person in the organization, their executive VP of football ops, he and McCown met each other years ago and bonded over religion, the FCA. And so when Easterby was the interim AD, interim AD, when Easterby was the interim general manager, he brought him in here as third quarterback. He spent five months here. Everybody likes Josh McCown. And, but, man, oh, man, they were ready to pull the trigger. They knew they were going to get ridiculed locally and nationally. Then Brian Flores filed his lawsuit. They took a step back as the teams did. Okay, let's, let's reevaluate where we are. And then they were never going to – Brian Flores, as soon as he signed that lawsuit, he guaranteed he'll never work in the NFL again. And I tell people here, like, well, why not? Well, if I were suing a Hearst Corporation, the Chronicle would not hire me. If I was suing Odyssey Radio Corporation, my radio station wouldn't hire me. Nobody's going to hire a guy that's suing the owner, trying to get them to open their books and disclose information they don't want to disclose. So he took him out, out of the running for head coach with every team, and he knew it. He said it in every interview. So they're looking around, okay, let's see – if we hire a guy with no experience over a minority with a lot more experience, and Lovey is the associate head coach, defense coordinator, been working with them mm-hmm. on this process because he knows so many people. And uh, so, uh, Lovey, we're going to interview Lovey. And so they talked to him about it Sunday. They interviewed him early Monday morning, hired him Monday afternoon, and had his introductory news conference on Tuesday. And I'm really happy for him because he's a first-class guy who was fired in Chicago despite being 20 games over 500, going to a Super Bowl NFL coach of the year, fired after a 10-6 and six season. Then he went to Tampa, took over the worst team in the league, 214, first pick, Jameis Winston, started a rookie quarterback, went 6-10, and 10, a four-game improvement, fired there. So he felt like this was the lead paragraph of my column today unfinished business as an NFL head coach. I love it. Uh, I'm happy for Lovey Smith, my fellow East Texan, born in Gladewater, played at Big Sandy High School with the late great David Overstreet. Now, this is all, this is my opinion, and I, I know it's shared by a lot. I think the Houston Texans took one for the team as far as the NFL. This is all about optics, good for Lovey, but they were going to get murdered. And so was the league because uh, these owners have been using the Rooney rule as a box checking and run around to get who they want in to this, to this league and who they want. No one really tells billionaires what to do except for other billionaires. And I think the league told the other owners told Cal McNair, look, man, you can hire lovey. And then if they if they have a bad year, you'll get rid of him and you can get your boy Josh McCown in there. Go ahead and hire him as the OC. It doesn't smell good, but I'm happy for Lovey. Um, He joins Mike Tomlin, Jets coach Robert Saleh, newly hired Miami coach Mike McDaniel as the four head black head coaches in the league. And uh, John, I'm going to ask you this. What do you think they can do to fix this Rooney rule? It, it is, it was well-intentioned, 
but it but it's become a a giant loophole in NFL hiring circles. Well, Cedric, first of all, I respectfully disagree. No owners tell other owners what to do, and and the commissioner he can't get them to do anything. They're going to do what they want to do, and they pivoted from McCown to Lovey Smith because it was going to be even worse to bypass a minority who was more qualified for a guy who was not qualified. Owners, they keep to themselves, you know, and Goodell can't make them do anything. Warren no, Moon told me in the late 80s when I, was doing a, when I was doing a story on Moon about the lack of black quarterbacks, till you get black ownership, uh, you're not going to have black representation like teams should. Now, black quarterbacks no longer an issue. Ownership is coaches. They're not eight. African-American general managers, and the Rooney Rule has helped them tremendously. And one of the reasons is if you didn't have the Rooney Rule requiring everybody to interview uh, two minorities, not just black assistants, but minorities, Ron Rivera, also a minority, and um, that, and, and they sent it in Senate, let's say, they added in the incentive that if you produce a minority general manager or head coach, you get a compensatory third-round pick in each of the next two drafts. Now, the Texans will not get one because of Lovey Smith because they don't come from your own organization and you can't get a pick for someone who hasn't been with the team more than a year. you got to be there at least two years. So I think the Rooney Rule has helped a few guys get jobs. but uh, And originally, when they amended it, they wanted to be if you hired a minority got draft choices. Tony Dungy and many others stood up and said, no, you don't want a coach to have the stigma that he was hired to get compensatory draft choices. And I can guarantee you one thing, no matter what Lovey Smith does this season, he can go 0-17. They ain't firing another coach on a one and done. So Lovey can do anything he wants. He'll be back in 2022. Even though it may be the most dysfunctional team in the NFL, you feel confident it wouldn't be that dysfunctional in fire. Oh, absolutely. I believe there's no way that'll happen. And the Texans this year under David Culley, who I thought got a raw deal, but every other media outlet in town wanted him gone, thought he was a terrible coach. And I just thought that he deserved a second season. Mm-hmm. And everybody had him as the worst team, worst roster. They won four games. They beat the Chargers trying for the playoffs, they beat the Titans. In, in Nashville, they also lost by three to the Patriots. Game they could have won at the end by three at Tennessee. Game they could have won at the end, lost one score games to at Miami and the Jets. And so they could have won a couple more games. And I think it's good they didn't because you're going to be bad, be bad. They got third overall pick. Worst thing right. they got right now is they have a pathetic running game that was 31st and 32nd the last two years and the worst running game in franchise history, that has to be fixed because it'll help take pressure off quarterback Davis Mills and keep the defense fresh. But and Lovey knows that. Pep Hamilton knows that. Keeping Pep Hamilton when he had five teams after him, the McNair family paid a lot of money to keep him to run the offense. He and Lovey Smith, they were together three years in Chicago. Now this is their second year together and it, it it helps them keep continuity with Davis Mills but and and uh Romeo Cornell's still here so you've got three guys who've been around a long time running is the head coach the offensive coordinator running the defense and the senior advisor 
And I think that's good when you're a bad team that you're still in phase two of your rebuilding process. And they are so much better off right now than they were this time last year with David Cully. And you look at, uh, you know, with all due respect to the great Warren Moon, who I, who I just loved, uh, we're, we're waiting on, on this league to all of a sudden be uh, just overrun with black owners. And we're going to be waiting for a while. It shouldn't take a black man to hire another black man. These white owners need to hire the best candidate. If it's a black guy, he needs to get a shot because, uh, you know, I, I know it's easier to hire people who look like you, but uh, if it, does, it doesn't seem to apply to all the players. 75% of the players are black. And uh, we know that uh, for Mike Tomlin uh, on down to Tony Dungy and, and others like him, that, that uh, there are some very qualified minority candidates out there. So, uh, hopefully one day there will be a black owner, but uh, if we're if if that's going to be the criteria, we need black owners to hire black black uh, head coaches. Then this thing's going to be stuck in park for quite a while. No, that's not what Moon said. Moon was talking about you need black ownership to have representation throughout your organization. Uh, uh, yeah, but there are black there are black G- but there are black GMs. I mean, you there you are. And there's a lot of vice presidents, but more black general managers to be more commiserate with the number of black players in the league, more representative in the front office and on the coaching staff. There's a lot of assistance. They need to get them to be coordinators, which puts them one spot away. And I'll tell you something very interesting. I read a column on outkick.com by a friend of mine, Armando Salguero, who covered the Dolphins forever for the Miami Herald. And he ran a column I thought last week was interesting. That Brian Flores hired 20 assistant coaches and 15 of them were white. And I thought that was interesting. Three, he, he went through coaches in three years, four offensive coordinators, three defensive coordinators, two offensive line coaches. But uh, I thought it'd be interesting if at some point when he's a head coach again, probably the major college program, if he were asked why he hired the coaches that he did and to see his, is to see what his response would be. That, that would be interesting. Did you think he was had a legitimate shot and a legitimate interview for the Houston job, John? And and why didn't he get hired by Houston or anybody else before he filed the lawsuit, you think? He was interviewing with different teams. I have no idea why somebody didn't hire him. None of them in that period in which he was interviewed until the Saints that interviewed him uh, hired him. I don't know, have any idea. Like Eric Bieniemy had an eight-hour interview with the Saints, and then they did what everybody thought, promoted defensive coordinator Dennis Allen. And um, so uh, he had he was the first interview here. I thought he'd get the job, 15 years uh, working with Nick Casario in New England. I think in four of those years, he and Jack Easterby were together when Easterby was a, a kind of a counselor, advisor for players and coaches. And then he started interviewing with, other jobs because they had to go through the process. Then they came back and interviewed him again. And I thought at that point, I knew they were going to, they wanted to hire McCown. I knew they were going to, I started writing about it about the the end of the, they're all run together at the end of a week, two weeks ago that they were leaning toward McCown. And I knew they were. And um, I'm glad they went with Lovey just because I like him so much and respect him. And I think under these circumstances, He'll do a good job. He has respect to the players, black and white. And uh, I think 
when you think about where this team still is in the rebuilding mode, bringing in an experienced, steady hand instead of a guy with no experience beyond being a quarterback. And I'm sure he learned a lot in all those different organizations, but this is so much better having Lovey Smith. Let me ask you this, John. Um, does Kyle McNair listen to the outside noise? Because I, I really thought that they were going to hire him account, and I was surprised that they went with Lovey. Is it all about uh, perception and uh, pe- people ridiculing the, the Houston uh, Texans organization? They don't care about outside noise. You know, the Patriot way, and this is the way it was, and Casario, the only way he knew, was the Patriots. You don't, you're not, PR is not important. You know, they'll say that's not true, but PR is not important. The way you look and sound is not important. The only thing counts is what happens on the field. And if you win, you're going to sell out every game. And that's the way it'll be if they ever win again. And, of course, they believe they will. The McNair family, let's see, they're paying three GMs. They're paying three head coaches. They spend a lot of money on players. They spend a lot of money on coaches, on the facility. And their M.O., they want to know what's going on, but they don't interfere. If Bill O'Brien wants to trade DeAndre Hopkins, he tells them why. And they, if, even if they don't want him traded, they don't interfere. And I like owners that don't do that instead of owners like, say, Jerry Jones and owner Jeffrey Lurie. Those guys are involved in everything, and I don't think owners are qualified to be in, in charge of everything. And um, so they let the GM, they pay him a lot of money. Casario's six-year contract um, to make those decisions. Casario makes every decision when it comes to personnel and coaches, and then he will tell the McNairs what he's doing, and then they'll do it. John, uh, two-pronged question. Uh, one, uh, do you expect Josh McCown to be on Lovey Smith's staff? And two, you mentioned about Brian Flores guaranteeing he won't work in the NFL again. Do you think Brian Flores will resurface as a coordinator? Or position coach, or you think he has to go to college, or is his coaching career going the way of Colin Kaepernick? Oh, he'll never cut. He'll never ever uh, work in the NFL again. He's suing the owner. Why would they hire the guy <laughs> when he's trying to force you to do things? Your parent company wouldn't wouldn't hire you. Mine wouldn't either. Nobody's would. Why would it be any different in the NFL? And Kaepernick, I can't remember if he sued him or not. He did. If he did. It was late. Did he? He did. It wasn't right away until he got blackballed when he right. sued. And one thing about people say NFL owners quake in their shoes when they're in a situation like this. And I go back to even before the concussion thing, when they're getting sued, everybody's waiting for discovery. Have we seen any discovery in any of those? No. Now, in St. Louis, they were worried about it, so they gave St. Louis almost $800 million. And I do think this, I think that Brian Flores at some point is going to get a lot of money. And the reason he gave up his NFL career was for the greater good. And I'll bet you when that time comes, he donates a big chunk of that money somehow to uh, help uh, pull off some of these changes he wants. The one that's most ridiculous in the lawsuit, I can't even believe they put it in there. They want players involved in interviews of coaches and I'm thinking, yeah, right. Never happened. Never happened. It'd be leaked and it'd be leaked five minutes later. And there <laughs> were a lot of good things in there. One of the things I like, they want written explanations about why a coach gets fired. I would love to see a written explanation about why David Cully got fired 
other than we plan to have him one year. And yeah, he walked away with 17 million, but he was here to coach. He wanted to coach another year. He deserved, I thought, to coach another year. But I'd love to see some of the explanations teams would give in a written response about why a minority coach was fired. You know, why was Brian Flores fired? Communication issues, relationship issues. I'd like to see him put that down. And, and of course, that's not going to happen either. But uh, And I, I don't feel bad for Flores. He knew what he was getting into. But I think ultimately we'll look back on him like we did uh, Cardinals outfielder Kurt Flood, who gave up his career in baseball to fight the system and help get free agency. Yeah, he will be uh, in, in many years, in decades coming, he'll, he will be uh, very fondly looked at as a very important figure if this thing changes. And, you know, Dennis Allen, uh, you know, gets a chance and, you know, he, he paid his dues as a coordinator, but he was eight and 28 with the Raiders as a head coach. So um, are, there aren't too many black coaches that could, that could have that poor record in their last head coaching stop and get hired again. And that's why I'm kind of happy to see Lovey Smith who has credentials. He, he led the Chicago bears to super bowl 41, the first matchup of black head coaches with Tony Dungy and Indianapolis. So John, um, uh, as far as Lovey goes, how much power will he have to to build this staff? Will they be retaining any assistance, or is he going to start from scratch? No, they they keep they're keeping a lot of assistance. Special teams coordinator Pep Hamilton being promoted to offensive coordinator and play caller. I think I'm thinking they're going to hire McCown to coach quarterbacks, and uh, Lovey will still run the defense. His they they need a defensive line coach a receivers coach and a quarterback coach right now. And they've kept all the others. Now, if he wants to add like assistant position coaches, he can do it. It wouldn't surprise me if his son, Miles, who coaches linebackers, doesn't get the defensive coordinator title at some point. But Lovey made it clear he's running the defense. And he, it was interesting. You know, he went to Illinois. They weren't going to win at Illinois, and they didn't. And he was fired into his fifth season. And a column I have with him, Today he said, "You know, it's not like a, I'm saying if I don't, if I'm not a head coach in the NFL, I'm never coming back." He said, I "Always wanted to come back." He said, "Working with David last year and getting to call the defense in the NFL again and seeing the takeaways improve from nine to twenty-five, he said, "I cherish that." He said, "Now, of course, to be able to be a head coach here, I'll cherish that too." But you know, people say, "Oh, he's sixty-three." Coaches now are going into their seventies. Belichick, Pete Carroll, others are approaching it. And so Lovey's always taking great care of himself. And now they we had a great thing yesterday. Uh, James Harden is no longer the beard in Houston. And Lovey, <laughs> Lovey's beard keeps growing, and you wonder, what is that around his face? Because it gets longer and longer, and it really looked strange yesterday. He's in a three-piece suit with that long white beard. and uh, <laughs> But he's such a lovable figure. I've never known anybody say anything bad about Lovey Smith. Nope. When I used to cover the NFL and I'd go to Tampa because the Dungy turnaround Buccaneers was such a great story. Lovey Dungy would let us go into the assistant coaches' offices and talk to them. So I'd go into Lovey's, Herm Edwards, and then when Lovey's defensive coordinator, St. Louis, and they were the greatest show on turf. I went to St. Louis and sat in his office and did a story on him. And, and I'm so happy. Plus, I like, working with a guy and people here they're like oh he's too old he's 
He's uh, He got fired by the Bears, and I'm thinking if you took away his first year with the Bears, he was 24 games over 500. And if you took away his first year with the Buccaneers, his career record is 24, is 20 games over 500. And there's not a lot of coaches out there who have that kind of record. And, and he's going to rely on Pep Hamilton for the offense, so he's just going to keep coaching that Tampa 2 defense that he made adjustments to. Now they got to make sure Davis Mills picks up where he left off these last five games when he looked so much better. And then they got to get a running game. Oh. Well, Lovey, Lovey took took the Bears to the Super Bowl with Rex Grossman. Sexy uh, Rexy. Hall of Fame quarterback. I mean, come on. Let's, uh, let's give Lovey he, credit. <laughs> he had Kyle Orton, yeah. Rex Grossman, and Jay Cutler as his three primary <laughs> quarterbacks in Chicago. He won the division three times. It was a division with Aaron Rodgers in it a lot. Megatron, Matthew Stafford was there. Lovey's last three years. Uh, the, the Vikings had talent. So it wasn't like it is now where it's the the it's the Packers and nobody else. It was a it was a more balanced, tougher division. And uh right. defense was his specialty. And so now they'll plead Davis Mills. And if he's not if he doesn't prove that he can take that next step in this second season, then they'll worry about a quarterback in 2023. But they're very high on him. And he ended up 16 touchdowns, 10 interceptions and a rating of 88.8, and he was clearly the second-best rookie in the NFL to Mac Jones. And down the stretch, he played better than Mac Jones did, and he was playing with the worst running game in the NFL. And uh, if they you say they finished in the top half of the NFL in rushing, that would be such a significant yeah. improvement to help Mills in his second season. He looked good. He looked good. I was impressed too. Of, of all the thirty-two teams in the NFL, where does Houston Texans talent rank? Would you say, John? Well, last year I I wouldn't say a lot of people thought they were going to be the worst. But Nick Casario, I've never seen a team bringing as many new players. He's got like thirty-three. We're in one-year contracts. They discovered some. They mined some nuggets on defense. Defensive tackle Malik Collins, one-year contract. Outside linebacker Camu Grugier Hill, who was their biggest surprise, one year contract. Cornerback Tavier Thomas, slot corner, a two year contract. Punter Cameron Johnston, the only free agent to get a three year contract. He was real good. So they found some guys, but they need to bolster their pass rush and they need to bolster their running game. I mean, you don't need to get a back in the first round. Won't surprise me if he doesn't trade down out of that third spot and take a lineman, and then get a back in the second half. And the one I'd love, second round, one I'd love to see is Brees Hall, who's, who's projected as a second rounder. State, yeah, we like him too. We like him too. Um, I am really intrigued to see what he does at this point in his career. Now, we've got people, that, the people around me have already started calling him Black Santa Claus. We love that beard. We love that beard. Um as, as far as dealing with these younger players, he's always seemed to have a way with them. Uh, John, um, you, you don't see a generation gap uh, problem given what Belichick's done, Pete Carroll, and in college ranks, guys like Nick Saban. I think that, in fact, that Lovey's got two sons. I think that helps. He's very low-key. He doesn't – he's very he's, – he's very, Lovey is intelligent, and he's got common sense. 
especially when it comes to football. He knows when what buttons to push and when. He's very cerebral. One of the things I don't like is seeing in this day and age, seeing head coaches scream and yell at players. And a lot of them today, it goes in one ear and out the other. And if they're young, it insults them. And the way you coach now, I don't think you can berate them constantly. I think if you got a white coach calling a black player names, I think that does not help at all. It's going to get that coach fired. That's not the way you get into any play. Communicate with players today. And I think Lovey knows that. And he's he's about one-on-one communication. And, and the fact that he's respected by black, white, old, young, offense and defense, a lot of it is the way he carries himself. He just has – he has so much dignity. You know, he's – his posture is great. I always look at people's posture. Do they hump over? Lovey's always stands up straight like he's a leader, a towering figure. And I think now when he got fired by Tampa after a, 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 an improvement of four games, I guess he didn't want to sit out another season like he'd done after he'd been fired by Chicago. So he took that Illinois job. He could stay at home, live there. I think they still have a home in the Chicago suburb. But one thing a lot of people didn't know, and I've written this before, and I've written about it the last two days. In 2013, when he set out that season, he and I talked, and he asked me if I could help him get an introduction to Bob McNair. And I said, sure. And I called Bob. So he and Bob start taking, talking on the phone. Next thing you know, Lovey's in here doing an interview. And McNair liked him so much because I told him, I said, look, if you're seriously interested in Lovey Smith, I'm going to write a column really talking about the possibility. He said, write it. <laughs> Excuse me. So I did. And I thought Lovey had a good chance to get the job. They interviewed a lot of candidates. I think they interviewed James Franklin when he was at Vanderbilt. And uh, several other coaches came down to five finalists. But Bill O'Brien, who is a very impressive talker, and had done a great job in two years at Penn State. He sold the McNairs on his vision to come back to the NFL, and he had Bill Belichick uh, really pushing him to get a head coaching job, so they hired Bill. And I'll say this, people make fun of O'Brien, mainly because when he got control over personnel for two years, he deserves to be ridiculed, but as a coach, Bill was a pretty good coach. Yeah, you won. Uh, won the division four times in five years. He did a great job developing Deshaun Watson. Watson swore by him, and problem was that he wanted control of personnel. He always did. He had problems with his general managers. Finally, he got control. The first thing he did was trade Clowney. If you guys remember, that 2018 team that went 11-5, and five, the best record since Kubiak went 12-4 and four in 2012, they had Deshaun Watson, they had DeAndre Hopkins, J.J. Watt, D.J. Reader, Tyron Matthews, Jadeveon Clowney, and now they got none of them because yeah. O'Brien got rid of all but Watson. And so it's it just amazing the nosedive this team has taken in a short period of time. And Casario was given total control, and that's why he came in. He just tore it down to the ground floor, and they got all their draft choices now. Number one pick, first time in three years. They have an extra three from New Orleans, and they hope to trade Watson, and those picks will be spread, I'm sure, over three years. And so people, I think, they're not fired up by Lovey 
everybody wants a splash. Man, they're so glad it wasn't McCown. And Me I think too. after oh free God. agency in the draft, free agency in the draft, then people will start to get and and so if they could win six or seven games, people I think people should be happy. Okay, what about Deshaun Watson? When is that going to be? He going to be moved? If I knew the answer to that, Kirk, I would go to Vegas and win millions and millions and split it with you. Just drag it on. If nobody wants to make the deal when he still has 22 civil lawsuits accusing him of sexual assault and misconduct, people are almost seem to be numb about that. All these fans, can't they get Watson back like all that didn't happen? And as I've said since March a year ago, he will never take another snap here. And, uh, the, the Dolphins were ready to pull the trigger, three ones, a three and a five. And Stephen Ross, the owner, who'd been involved in the talks at the last minute, actually Thursday before the Tuesday deadline, I want those civil suits settled. And at that point, Watson wouldn't do it. Somebody convinced him settling is an admission of guilt. And he's contended the whole time he's innocent. And of course, he is innocent until proven guilty. And so they he finally gave him permission to try to settle. They got 18 of the 22 done deadline. They said, nope, we can't get it done. So it was over. And let me tell you, I was so happy. I got tired of talking on every talk show about Watson. I was <laughs> writing about him almost every day. I still write about him. I find a way to do it back once every two weeks because it's automatically our number one uh, story <laughs> on our website. Right. And people just can't get enough. So of the teams that were interested, you know, if I'm him and he has a no trade clause, he told him I'm going nowhere but Miami. And I don't think it had to do with the Dolphins as much as South Florida, of where course. he spends a lot of time. How many of us, if we had millions and millions, wouldn't want to live on the water with a boat or a yacht? And uh, who wouldn't like that? And so okay. now with uh, Brian Flores gone and the fact that he's accused Stephen Ross of offering him a hundred grand to tank games, if they can prove that, Ross could lose draft choices. You know, money's not going to matter. So I don't think that'd be a good destination for Watson. But now Philadelphia made an offer. He rejected it. And, uh, you know, would he go to Denver? Would he go to Carolina? And I think Denver's a quarterback away from being a Super Bowl contender. And they were definitely interested until the lawsuits piled up. So you can start making trades March 16th when the new league year begins. But I think if he did clear them up, Teams would line up to get him or at least call to see what they wanted. And because he's a great quarterback, he was fantastic in 2020 yeah. in every statistic. And it couldn't amazing. win because they were terrible on defense and they were terrible running the football. So if you got a young quarterback who's he'll be 27 under contract and you maybe be there 10 or 15 years, yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter what you pay over three years, but I think he would make them a contender and then he goes to Carolina, which is close to his hometown in Gainesville, Georgia. He might keep Matt Rule from getting fired wow. and returning to college football. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. So, say, so who you got in the Super Bowl? You expecting a big game? I think uh, I covered Cincinnati's first two Super Bowl losses of 49ers. I would be happy if they won uh, their class organization, but, you know, they're perennially terrible. Then they, Joe yeah. Burrow falls into their lap. And they've done a good job with some other players. So it wouldn't bother me if they won. I've never seen a team go all in uh, like the Rams did. 
Yeah. Uh, they've traded six number one picks, two threes. They won't have another number one pick before 2024. Yeah. Stafford was a class act at Love Detroit, him. as you guys know. I'd, I'd like to see them win, and I'd like to see him be voted MVP. And I'm doing a column for Sunday, Wade Phillips. He was their defensive coordinator for Sean McVay. Zach Taylor was on the was on the staff, and I asked him, "Did you envision in 2017 these guys being Super Bowl coaches?" And he said, uh, "Truthfully, no. Especially Zach when he left to go to Cincinnati because you know they, they weren't real good. <laughs> and of course, his son Wes is the tight ends coach for the Rams, and he says I'm living vicariously through Wes, and he predicts the Rams handily." That, that I love makes, it. That makes sense. Oh, one other thing. When, where did Aaron Rodgers end up? I think he's going to end up in Green Bay with a contract extension to get his uh, cap figure, which I think is 48 or 45, get it down significantly. Remember, all this started after his agent went to Green Bay to negotiate an extension. Right. This was early in the offseason after 2020, and he left without a deal. And one reason was they when they drafted Jordan Love, if you look at the stats for the previous two years for Rodgers, it was nothing like it's been the last two years. And a lot of people thought his career was winding down. They draft Love, maybe he's the one that motivated Rodgers because he's going to win the MVP award right. again, giving him four, right. second to Peyton Manning's five. So I think, and, and, and he has said, he and Brian Gunicus, GM, are friends now. He has some input. You know, why would he want to leave a division? He dominates. Would he go to Denver? Yeah, right. Play against Patrick <laughs> Mahomes and, uh, and no. Justin Herbert twice a year. He's too smart for that. I think he's going right there. Uh, he'll be right there on Lombardi Avenue. Well, John, man, always a pleasure dropping knowledge, just just dropping all heat-seeking missiles of knowledge <laughs> to us. We, appre- we appreciate you, man, and uh Good luck with the with with the uh, lovey with the lovey bus. We love lovey just like everybody else, and we'll chop it up again before the season. Guys, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it very much, and uh, enjoy the Super Bowl. Ba- 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 Baylor Bears, Texas. Uh, give me a score. We got a minute left. Uh, I love to see. First of all, I was glad to see the Bears beat the Longhorns women because uh, I've been worried about when they hired. Schaefer, they might even that score. And uh, I think the Longhorns will win this game because Baylor is struggling with two of their primary guys missing a lot of times. And I don't care. All I'm interested in is the NCAA tournament. Sick them. Go get them. See you, Thanks, John. John. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Take care, buddy. Bye. On second thought. Duck, always good to talk to John McClain. Always good to talk after a Texas basketball win over Kansas. That's been a minute. Well, they, they blew them out last year. So uh, shout out to Shaka. But th- this this felt this felt like uh, Chris Beard is building something. Before we get out of here, I got to uh, we didn't we didn't do it with John. We got his Super Bowl prediction. What's your Super Bowl prediction? You know, I, I kind of like if I don't have a dog in the hunt, I always root for the underdog, you know, somebody else to enjoy the mountaintop and the view from there. And I think uh, the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow kind of capture the 
hearts and imagination of America right now. Stop so it. I, I think Stop it. I think I think most people are rooting for the Bengals, but oh, I just think the Rams on. have too much firepower for them. Uh, so I'm picking. I hate to say it, but not right now I'm thinking Rams maybe like 35, 17, 35, 21. Wow, you got a blowout. I'm afraid the second half might become that because I worry about that L.A. defensive line against the Bengals front because uh, Joe Burrow got sacked 51 times more than any quarterback in the NFL. So, you know, he's got a lot of uh, a lot of spunk and a lot of uh, belief, but oh, I tell you, the Rams are this close, and they're built for this. You know, like John McClain would say, they don't have a first-rounder to, like, 2024 or 20 they haven't had a first round pick since 16 wow jared goff 16 yet here they are in the super bowl and that that'd be one interesting thing i think do you think we could see other teams kind of taking this uh, game plan kind of building for today and like you know you add a, a von miller you add a, a obj people like that you know even in mid-season do you think other teams might start copying that method and you know, kind of forget the draft for a little bit and kind of go for broke, do you? It's it's a copycat league, but the, but the cheaper teams in the league, and the, the Bengals are one of those, let's keep it real, the cheaper teams in the league aren't, go, aren't going to try to buy a championship. It costs a lot of money to bring in Von Miller. It costs a lot of money to bring in Odell Beckham. So they'll still build from the draft, the, cheap, the smaller markets, the Jacksonvilles, the Carolinas. They're going to build from the draft, and they're going to they're going to still try to to turn a bigger profit uh, and pay, and and get and get away with paying a lot less money because uh, these expensive free agents can get you to the promised land. And look what the Rams are doing, but uh, it costs a lot of money. So uh, bringing in Matt Stafford, that's a pretty penny. Uh, he makes more money than Jared Goff. So. Um, so uh, I, I love great I, marriage. What a great marriage. Oh, I know. I know it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Uh, Stafford. Yeah, uh, uh, great marriage with the Rams and Stafford, and great marriage with Stafford and his wife, who's overcome some health issues. There's yeah. some good storylines. And uh, before we go, uh, how are you spending? Uh, how are you spending Super Bowl Sunday? Uh, hopefully, uh, here at home with family. Uh, oldest son Ryan makes the best beef stew in the world. No, it he is- doesn't. No, he doesn't. Oh my it's God! Second best. It's you like a bourbon, a bourbon beef stew. I'm well, telling so you, well, you're an al- you're an alcoholic, so okay, <laughs> you would, of course you would like the bourbon beef stew. I make Everybody a grown. My dad taught me to make how to make a grown man's beef stew, uh, and I don't and I don't and I don't put Jack Daniels in it. I put food in it, and it's better <laughs> than Ryan's, even though he shares a birthday with me. So hey, hey, I didn't hear your score. I didn't hear your Super Bowl score. Super Bowl score, uh, uh. uh Rams uh, 38, Bengals 30. I think it's going to be a shootout. Ah, so we got both got the Rams, but you think it's good. I tell you, is this the best postseason NFL history? Yes. So many Without question. Without question. Phenomenal. It's just one game after another. It's just so much fun to watch. And it'd be such a letdown if, if the Super Bowl doesn't kind of live up to the rest of the playoffs. Yeah, the, play, the playoffs have been boss. And, uh, you know, Super Bowl is usually a clunker, but I think – I think this one might be pretty entertaining. So, Doug, let's shut it down here. We will reconvene next week, talk Super Bowl aftermath, Baylor-Texas aftermath, and uh, hopefully uh, it will be an entertaining weekend uh, for, for our sports fans. That will do it 
for episode 249 for the Duck Perk Bowls. I'm Seth Golden. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com. Join Seth and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. Archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play.